Which I should have assumed, I guess, he's a little too new. Yes. Yeah, that yeah, he is a little too new to he thought we were gonna do a show about gold dust. Let's start the show. For those who do not know the biggest wrestling spectacular names from all over the country. Former champions, I've never seen anything like it. Eddie Graham, Florida promotion. Vern Gagne, superstar Billy Graham, Road Warriors, Mid-South Coliseum in Memphis, Tennessee, Bill Watts, Jerry Jarrett, Dory Funk, Harley Race, uh, Nick Bockwinkle. This is Cigars in Conversation with Derek St. Holmes, Esquire. Hello and welcome to Cigars and Conversations, brought to you by our good friends at All the Gimmicks and wherever you're going to be able to hear good uh, podcasts, I guess. I'm your co-host, Jay Gilkay, and I am sitting here with a true raconteur in the world of professional wrestling. This man has shared the ring with a who's who of talent that ranges from Terry Gibbs to the Duke of Dorchester. I forgot his other name, but whatever. Uh... He's a wrestler. He's been a manager, a commentator, and a trainer who's contributed essays to wrestling publications. And uh, I don't know. He's just been kind of hanging out and living life, right? Gotten into bullwhips. Gotten into bullwhips. I like that. Yeah, he's actually become a whipsmith or whatever the term would be. Yeah, I don't know. Is that Would that be a term? Sure. He's a whipsmith with bullwhips. Uh, with 20-plus years of experience approaching the 25-year mark, as he told us last time. He is a true renaissance man with unlimited knowledge about the business of professional wrestling. Ladies and gentlemen, this has gone on forever. I am speaking of the one, the only, the incomparable DSHE, Derek St. Holmes Esquire. What's up? Uh, you're thinking of Pete Doherty, the Duke of Dorchester, yes, Pete Doherty. Pete Doherty, the Duke of Dorchester, and Terry Gibbs, two men you've wrestled many times. I have not. Well, all right, then. I've watched them on tape. Okay. Wrestled with the tapes, then, for what uh, it is. Terry Gibbs, very good. He was an enhancement guy for the WWE, but then when you, or WWF, but then when you check his name and records, it's like, wow, this guy was everywhere. Sure. So, um, he was everywhere. And man. I enjoyed his stint with the Bee Gees. <sighs> Sorry. Hey, tell us about bullwhips. Give us oh. some bullshit about bullwhips. Okay, well, uh, <laughs> bullshits and bullwhips. Bullshits. That's well, the new. There are several whips. Uh, this is a hobby that I picked up over the quarantine, uh, which came from watching videos on YouTube and then our proximity to the uh, Bristol Renaissance Fair, which has Adam Winrich performing there every year. Uh, Adam Winrich is a multiple world record record holder in whips. And actually it's a very, very fascinating story about how he's been able to establish himself at the top of that world. Uh, long story short, I contacted him to see if he could give me a lesson and he shot me a price and I went there and had a good time for about 90 minutes and too long didn't read. I'm now several hundred dollars into a new hobby that, uh, is very difficult to discuss in regular company. Uh, Derek sent me a text and said, Hey, are your dogs afraid of fireworks? And I'm like, Oh shit. What's he bringing over to the house? And then he just explained that in all actuality, it was the bullwhip. Um, he was going to try to crack. 
I was going to teach you guys how to do it because it's you laugh about it. I put it this way: I understand how massage therapists feel because the minute you say that, everybody's always like, "Ah, oh, happy endings," and it's like the minute you bring up whips, everybody's like, "Ah, oh, BDSM." It's like, no, think more Wild West show kind okay. of stuff. Uh, but it's an activity that gives you instant feedback, so it's very explain. Well, you'll know if you get the if you have your. Uh, Cut to the chase, the whole way to crack a whip is to create a loop that you send down the body of the whip that gets amplified at the end, and you'll know right away if you got it or not because you hear the crack. So you whip it? Do you whip it whip, good? Whip, whip it good, yes. yes. you do? That's yes. very good. So that's fun. So you picked up the, the hobby. <laughs> so of, that's fun, yes. So that's fun. Uh, you uh, but actually, but getting into that, uh, the, the world of whips is much more complex than you could ever think. Uh, the aspect that you guys will enjoy is the amount of Indiana Jones cosplay in the whip world. I like that. Because, for example, if you want an Indiana Jones whip, did you know that the whip is different in every movie? Really? Yes. So you can get different styles, like this is the Raiders whip, this is the Crystal Skull whip. Uh, There's even a variant called the Young Indy whip, which is a red handle with a black body that uh who is it river phoenix picked up in the in the circus car yes so like so that's just with the whips but then you get into oh where did you get your hat where did you get your leather pouch where did you get your it's so it and gets like at the fucking panama jack store where do you think i got it <laughs> so from as a whip enthusiast now are you like really excited for the new indiana jones movie not at all because one, um, if you look at how Indy uses his whip in a lot of the movies, he's using it like a, a Spider-Man web shooter, which sure. which is not how you... For example, you do not want to swing from a whip because you will ruin it. <laughs> okay. But, well, I mean, but that's just one thing. Um, the funny thing about, in, about Harrison Ford and Indiana Jones are the number of people that claim to have trained him for whip work. I bet. Whip work. I like that. Too, yes. Well, because there was, there was a gentleman that he used for the first movie, but then when Crystal Skull came around, he hired this guy that's in Hollywood named Anthony DeLongis. Yes. Who also trained Michelle uh, Pfeiffer for Catwoman. Nice. Um, did you see that who, footage of her doing? She like did yes. that. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, where she did it all in one take. Yeah. Yeah. He, he Delon just claims to have invented a whip style, but having researched it, I feel he just came up with a decent script on how to teach whip style. Sure. Um I don't know. This is this is a separate deal. There are whip podcasts, but it's it's a fascinating world that is much more complex than you ever thought it should ever be. All right, lightning round. Best Michelle Pfeiffer movie. I don't Grease know if two. I have one. Grease 2. Watch okay. the vi- cool rider. She sings a song on top of a ladder straddling. It's great. All right. Okay. Next one. What movie is this from? We named the dog Indiana. Which movie is that one from? Oh, uh, isn't that not Crystal Skull? That's the with the Holy Grail. Holy Grail. The All third right. one. Okay. Very good. Uh, which I only, only never saw until... I never saw two or three until um, but the, the shutdown. Really? Yeah. 
And, and I have to say, I was very surprised at the comic tone in the second and third movie. I thought Indy you, was like a serious let me mythology a la Star Wars. But, Did you no. get the woman-hating tone of the second one? Because Steven Spielberg was going through his divorce with Amy Irving at that point. And if you watch, what's her name? In, what's uh, Kate Capshaw's character name? Do you know, Kyle? Oh, gosh. Whatever her name is. Billy. Not... Is it Billy? Yeah, yes, it's Billy. Billy. She, like, he makes her be a real bitch the whole, like, she is annoying the whole movie. And that was intentional because Steven Spielberg was going through his divorce and just hated women. All right. Lightning round. Hold on. This is a lightning round, Kyle. Okay. One more. Lightning what movie round. is this from? Throw me the idol. I'll throw you the whip. Oh, the first one. Yeah. And isn't that uh, Dr. Okay, Octopus? Yes. Hold on. What movie is this from? Snakes. Why is it going to be snakes? That was like... Goonies. No, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. Indiana. Yes, that's I Raiders know. Also. Okay. Uh, what was the... Um, uh, uh, oh, Dr. Jones. Dr. Jones. What movie is that one from? Titanic. Yes. Short Round. Remember him? Yes, which Short probably couldn't be made today. He's a great kid. Uh, going, back and research, going, going back and researching okay. the Indiana Jones movies, I, I am... Joan. Jones. Sorry. <laughs> How many people he flat out kills on camera? Oh, yeah. Like, wow, that's different. Um, oh, the Cairo but it swordsman. has been funny going. Yes, go ahead. No, I was gonna say that that's a great story. The Cairo Swordsman, where uh, they just like had to do the shoot real quick. There was supposed to be a big fight, and they were just like fuck it, and just had him shoot him and kill him dead, just because they had to get the shot done. Yep. Hey, speaking of wrestlers, the bald guy that uh, he fights the Russian that he or, that dies he, twice. What? Yeah, he dies twice. He does. Uh, that go. I'm sorry. The finish bald your guy story. in the propeller. Yes. Brrr. Yeah. That's Pat- a propeller. That's getting killed in a propeller. Brrr. That's is that Hardboiled Haggerty or Pat Roach? I thought that was that Hardboiled Haggerty. But he he's he gets killed by Indiana Jones twice in that movie. Really? Yeah. Huh? Did you just hijack his fact? No, I, no I, I'm, I'm actually I surprised didn't you didn't know, know that. that but yeah, that actor gets killed twice in that movie. I think in the um. Uh, Marion's bar yeah. I think in the Marion's bar scene and then again in the movies fun but that's fact. a wrestler I think it's Pat yes. Roach fun fact I own a one to one scale of the um, the idol the uh, uh, the fertility god no way yes that's awesome fun fact I own a one to one scale of uh, is it Beethoven I don't even remember from the Batman. TV yeah, show. Shakespeare. Shakespeare. And I was playing with it earlier. I was surprised, though, that it's it's plastic resin. Yes. It's supposed to be a bank. Oh, okay. So, so the Bullwhip universe. Yes. Yeah, Kyle's back to the Bullwhip. Cosplaying with, uh, talking about cosplaying Indiana Jones. Do people cosplay Catwoman, too? Uh, yes, you, you see that. The the main character whips that you see in the universe are Indi- the Indiana Jones style, the Catwoman style, and then there's a Zorro style. Which I have on order, and I'm looking nice. forward to it. So, all right, your take on Whiplash, character made popular by Mickey Rourke in Iron Man Two. Uh, I haven't, I haven't seen the footage, so I do want to see it to, just to check his whip work. The movie Whiplash about the kid that plays drums. Your take? Didn't see it. Oh. Whiplash, the Masters of the Universe green lizard with a tail. So I'm going to ignore you and go back to a lot of Hollywood movies that I've seen with whip work, like Zorro the Gay Blade and yes, stuff. Yes, great movie. Where uh, I go, well, I go back and rewatch it, and it's just like, oh, he's doing the same whip crack the entire time. George Hamilton. Yeah, so like, there's no there's no art to it. Just He does the same overheads the whole time. What's another good whip movie? Uh, well, there's Lash... Whippy Longstockings? Da-da-da. 
dad joke. Lash Larue uh, and Zorro. Okay, those were like. Well, Lash Larue was a Western guy whose deal was he didn't. Sh- oh. Kyle's got something. Yes. Oh, you can continue your thing. Oh first. yeah, Lash Larue was uh, a, a cowboy serial Western guy whose deal was he had a whip, who has a lot of footage available. Long story short, he, he huge carny guy. Like I first read about Lash LaRue in one of Scott Teal's interviews where somebody's like, Yeah, he was an old cowboy guy, but he was known for like ripping towns off and stuff like that and had a bad reputation. So now that I've rediscovered him and gone to him, it was like, Oh, married six times, in jail several times, like, oh, this guy's got a story. So you're into whips. Yes. Your wife used to be a roller derby person. Yes. And there's a movie called Whip It. Uh, yes, okay. because the, the well, because there's a roller derby move, the whip, which is very similar to an Irish whip. As a wrestler, have you ever done whippets? You know uh, not not as a wrestler. Well, just as a human being at a party? Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Have you ever done whippets, Kyle? I don't know what a whippet is. All right. Another thing we have to do off the air here. <laughs> Yeah, because that would that would make for a very boring time. Do me a time, favor. Go get some Ready Whip, honey. Well, no, you can get the little metal things. Yeah, but the Ready Whip's just a quick. That's all right, Kyle. Someday you'll You can also fun. use Edge Gel. <laughs> well, I mean, we used to, back in the day, you could pick it up off the, the grocery counter, like the grocery shelf, and just move. And just do, yeah. and then put it back, and then somebody gets a. Do you ever use shaving cream as a whipped cream in a pie and put it in someone's face? And no. They thought it was going to be delicious, but then it just turned out to be shaving cream? No, um, but since you brought up my wife, I want to tell you the master plan here. The master plan was Angela convinced me to go to Adam Winrich to get this lesson because she really wanted to learn how to do whips, but she was like didn't want to get involved in it. So she knew if she pushed me and I learned how to do it, I could teach her. That's awesome. So now she teases me like, oh, you get another whip? I'm like, well, you don't have to use it. She's like, nope. I'm going to. So she's picking it up as as well. Are you whipped in the house? Uh, somewhat, but there's not a lot of space. I have smaller like snake whips for sure. that. Um, yeah. So the master plan was she wanted to learn how to do it, so she manipulated me into doing it. And now she teases me because at last count I have like 36 of them. But 36 he, whips. Yes. What? Well, just wait because each one is different. But here's the deal: there's no. There's no infrastructure set up. You can't rent a whip to see how it works. You have to. Just you, you've got to buy it. You just get it. So I have a I have dry. a lot of them, and I have them sorted out to these ones I really like, and a lot of these I don't like so much. Do you, you hang you know, them for like whatever. coiled on the wall? Because that'd be kick ass. No, I keep them coiled in tennis racket bags. But my ultimate plan is this is fucking amazing. My ultimate plan is once it warms up later this summer is Angela and I want to rent a like picnic pavilion and just have like a little deal where all of our friends can stop by and we'll set up target stands and we'll have grilling out and just yeah, have like hurts. an afternoon. No, you don't. The first person that hits somebody with the whip, they're the one that gets to hold all the targets. No, I'm saying like I could, I could see myself trying to whip and then it coming back and hitting me just like young Indiana Jones with, okay. a, with river Phoenix. All right. Across the lip. We'll get to the episode, but let me tell you this. Everybody picks up the whip and they try to do the, which is like the gym towel crack, which is the wrong thing you should do because once you do the crack, that end is coming back towards your face. That's why Indy got hurt. So you do not do the gym towel crack with a whip. That's all I'll say. I just, I like that we had a segue. Right. With the Irish whip thing. Right. And we just 
We just left Irish Whip out. We just breezed right past Irish Whip. That's true. I I want you to have this party. Yes. And I, while everyone's eating, I'm going to steal the whips and hide in a tree. And then when everyone wants them back, I'm going to say, you throw me the idol, I'll throw you the whip. And I'm just going to have you guys throw me uh, burgers or something up in the tree as I give out the whips back. Now, as I was planning this little party, (laughs) I assumed that prior to this party, I would have a special lesson with you so you could be slightly better than everybody else. There. Now you're talking. Yes, All I right. would do that. Now this for got you. serious, and I'm okay with that. Uh, I will bring the fertility idol from Indiana Jones. Sure. That's awesome. So uh, then we can take pictures, we can charge. Sure. <laughs> but I mean, it's very interesting because it's actually primarily an Australian sport, and there are named spots and named routines, which is the minutiae that I enjoy. I love it. And so before we, again, get into this episode we're going to talk about, I just want to point out, Derek took up whip cracking. Is that what it's called? Whipping? Whip cracking? Whip cracking, yeah. Whip cracking. I took up painting Dungeons & Dragons miniatures, and Kyle took up taking pictures of birds, right? Yeah. So that's the the three things that we did. Yeah, because we're well-rounded. That's true. And I started my Dungeons and Dragons band, by the way. Yes, uh, Fight Dice. Fight Dice. Check us out on Apple Music and Spotify. We have our first EP out called Roll for Initiative. But that's besides oh, the nice. point. I wasn't even thinking of bringing that up, but I did. Fight Dice. Anyhow, uh, Kyle, the bird pictures are great. You're going to give my wife a calendar. I'm oh, nice. very uh, pleased about that. But we're not here to talk about whips, birds, and. Dungeons and Dragons. I do want to work with you sometime, Kyle, with the uh, drone because I think that that it's it's very hypnotizing to watch the 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 whip. roll come out of a whip. Just trust me. Okay. I have a plan. Okay. What's our plan for today? Our plan today, uh, a nickname that we've been given numerous times by nobody, is the Gold Dust Trio. Yes. Today, we are going to discuss the Goldust Trio, who Kyle, again, if you at the start of the show, Kyle thought we were doing a whole episode on Goldust and probably his incarnations, like the three faces of Foley, maybe thought we were going to bring up uh, Stardust and uh, any of that stuff. But no, uh, this, it could probably be our oldest episode. We could do an episode on the Rhodes family. Oh, Absolutely. Huh. What about Dirty Roads? Do you remember Dirty Roads? Yes, yeah. Uh, he was an assassin, Roger Smith. Yes, Dirty Roads. But anyhow, back to the Goldust. Uh, we also have to do Troy T. Tyler, yes. too. Yes. The, so this is... Goldust's three best matches. <laughs> ever. Okay, Backlot Brawl. Um, do, do you know this story? Uh-oh. What's... <laughs> oh, no. There was a seminar with Goldust in the area, and like he opened it up for questions, and one of the local workers raised his hand and said, what is your favorite era of professional wrestling? Ugh. Yes. Seminars. Yeah. Got, glad the guys are making some money, but oh, geez. They're yeah. Every dollar. That person has been blacklisted from... Wrestling in the for, area. Probably for that uh, thing. Gotta protect the business. Gotta protect the business, uh, right? Well, in that case, gotta protect the business from bad publicity. I think that's but... gonna be our new sign off from now on. Okay, and don't forget to protect the business. Remind, remind me of that when we start after last time, uh, the last episode. But anyhow, this is our oldest episode to date, meaning this is we're going back over 100 years. We are. What? We're going back really well. Oh, I, mean, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, if you're looking you're at right. the wrestlers that are involved in this, uh, we're going, some of these guys, 
were like born a long time ago. But this was everything we're going to talk about now basically happens in the 1920s. Yes. Correct? Yes. Uh, I'd like to point out um, one of the main players, and this is what one of the things that's fascinating and why I say this is the oldest episode. Joseph Tootsmont, yes. born January Toots. 18th of 1894. Yep. That's So this is, we're over 100 years with some of the people in this episode. Derek. Um, yes, Jay. Yeah, it gets very serious. For those of you who do not know about the Gold Dust Trio. Um, oh, I thought you were doing our show open there. For no. those that do not know. For those that do not know the Gold Dust Trio. Derek, can you yes. give us a quick overarching uh, summary of what it is right off the bat? So people, because I know well, here's what's going to happen. You know, it's like black and white TV. In black and white movies, you got a lot of people out there. They don't want to watch black and white. They all want the flips and the super kicks and the climax tournaments. And they want all the ladder matches and all the face paintings and all of that stuff. And we're taking this back so far. We've already lost some young people listening to this episode going like, listen, I don't want to know about wrestling from the 1920s. But this is some real fucking deal kind of stuff we're going to talk about today. Yes. So give us a quick, just give us your elevator pitch summary. Tell us what is the Gold Dust Trio. Just you got elevator to- pitch summary. Yes. The Gold Dust Trio is a triumvirate of personalities. Billy Sandow, promoter. Ed Strangler Lewis, world champion. Joseph Tutsman, trainer and talent. Uh, these three men supposedly changed the direction of professional wrestling in the early 1920s. Yes. Uh, the knowledge of the Gold Dust Trio comes from the 1936 book, The Fall Guys. I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. So there's the Gold Dust Trio. A lot of people, I'm sorry, a lot of people in modern wrestling think the Gold Dust Trio was a faction, a la the Four Horsemen or, uh, give me some more, Dudes with Attitudes, Von Erich family. Yes. Like they think they were a faction. Three count. Yes. <laughs> Because that's how modern wrestling looks at things. Right. Uh, what we're going to discover is that the Gold Dust Trio was first mentioned in The Fall Guys, and they were never referred to as that in real life at that time. Really? That name is a appellation that was given to that group by the author of The Fall Guys. Oh, really? Yes. So that, okay, so that's where it comes from. They, they were never, like, they never referred to themselves as at all. Uh, they never referred to themselves as that. Uh, go ahead with your next question because no next the question. book, the fall guys, uh, is, is very integral to the story. Sure. So I'm I, not like, sure how to, so how to you gave us the, the pitch. Give us, give, tell us where we're going. Take us on the ride, Derek. I'm okay. Ready. I'm strapped. So in, in, in 1936, there was a book called the fall guys. Jim Cornette has mentioned this on his, uh, when they go through his attic room and it's been referenced as a lot of things as one of the prime reference works for professional wrestling as it was in the twenties and thirties. Um, it was a book that was put out uh, and then didn't get wide circulation, so only hardcore fans knew it existed. Um, what happened was, in the 70s, Steve Yohe, who was a historian in the California area, and he's still around today, very important, and has written a lot of historical works, found a copy of The Fall Guys in the library and used his work Xerox machine to copy pages of this and sold it through newsletters. 
Wow. So that's how the book got recirculated among wrestling fans and people read it. And because this was the only source as they, they withdrew knowledge of it, it has now since come out that the author of the fall guys was actually an employee of toots Mont and wrote the story to try and ace out people that had tried to work against toots Mont. Oh, wow. Okay. I didn't know that. Uh, but a fascinating thing about the fall guy is a lot of current wrestling legends come from this book and have been referenced so many times that they have become legend. The number one thing that came out of there was the career of Abraham Lincoln as a wrestler. Yes, I just told my students about that a couple weeks ago. Yes, it was it was noted in this book that he was a wrestler, yet in the research, there are previous works about Lincoln that were written that do not mention wrestling up until this point. It is believed that this book was the jumping off point of Abraham Lincoln was a championship wrestler. Really? Yeah. So, yeah, he he wrestled in the Kentucky wilderness, but there's no record of him being a champion. There's no record of him. He was just a guy that wrestled because everybody wrestled. Sure. But so so that's what's interesting here. Other things that have come out of this book, uh, the name the Gold Dust Trio. Oh, well, that's how they must have referred to themselves. What about, is it true that New Jack got the balcony dive from John Wilkes Booth? Yes, that is ab- absolutely true. Kyle, do you know who John Wilkes Booth is? Yes, I know who John Wilkes Booth is. <laughs> Great heel. Who's New Jack? No. Yes. Hey, how you doing there? See, for those that don't know, John Wilkes Booth shot Lincoln and then jumped out of the balcony and broke his leg as he tried to escape. Likewise, I saw New Jack. Six Semper Tyranny. I saw New Jack uh, jump out of the balcony in Milwaukee and break his leg. So. It was kind of like I was at the theater when Lincoln got shot. Is basically what I'm trying to tell everybody. So who are these three guys? All right, so the three okay. guys. Kai wants to know these three guys. He's like, what do they have to do with anything? And uh, are we going to see their relatives showing up on AEW this week? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> the new narrative is that Kyle is like the modern wrestler. Have we picked up on that? That I'm just doing that. Sure, Kyle is that's just fine. your typical re- wrestling fan nowadays. Uh, so Billy Sandow, Kyle club, Billy Sandow was regarded as, you know, an ace promoter back in the early twenties. Uh, he was actually the head of a promoting company or booking company that included his brothers and other sub promoters. So he had a network set up, uh, when he was a worker, there's a story of how he discovered Strangler Lewis, but it's now believed that. He wrestled Strangler Lewis, uh, liked what he saw, saw potential, and three years later started managing him. Um, The book The Fall Guys tries to say that uh, Sandow and Lewis met and then Tutsman came up and then the three of them took over. If you look at the timing, Sandow and Mont, or Sandow and Lewis met in 1915 started being managed in 1918, they didn't run into Toots Mont until 1925, which was seven years later. So Sandow and Lewis had already done a, I want to say like a Vince Hogan thing where you had your main promoter and his main star, and they were able to barnstorm all over the United States because Sandow had this network of promoters already set up. In 1925, they ran into Toots Mont who came, uh, was an amateur champ, or amateur wrestler, had come from a circus background, actually, who was coaching 
coaching wrestling at a community college until they brought him into the combine. Now, from what we've been able to put together, uh, the story that comes out of the fall guys is these three guys came together and they sped up wrestling and changed the style and came up with the package show from what we can put together. Tootsmont may have done that, but he didn't do that until 1926, 1927, 1930, after Strangler Lewis had lost the title and the Gold Dust Trio had dissolved. What we're finding out in this book, now this book was written by an employee of Mont, so he was getting all the stories here, but what's supported by this and supported by other characters is that one, Mont's was a fucking carny. Right. Yeah, so he would steal that. Uh, he is generally credited with changing the business and coming up with the package show, but he did not do it as part of the gold dust trio. He did that more after the gold dust trio dissolved and he was involved with Jim Londis. Right. But it was all in response to, to like, I know that they had the, the crowds that where it was going on. Cause it was mostly grappling at that point, mm-hmm. like the Frank Gotch stuff. Yes. They, there was a response to that. Like how do because people were just getting sick and kind of uh, tired of like the the Gotch era wrestling. Uh Gotch is referenced in the book as well and it's pretty funny because this is the first area where he's called the peerless Frank Gotch. Gotcha. So he was <laughs> Contemporary reports say Gotch was a good wrestler, but not very colorful. Right. So that's why his matches were kind of boring. Well, uh, and can I say, too, I think that that when they talk about it to what what it was referred to. Uh, and I don't know who is the one that I'm going to be off on who it was. I thought it was Sandow that coined the, fl- the phrase that slam bang Western style. Yeah, that's Toots. Is that Toots that did yes. that? Yeah. So that was kind of like the combination of doing the Greco-Roman and like some throws and like judo type stuff along with some actual like punching. Right. And like, again, what you're kind of looking at now as that current, I don't say current style anymore, but like just as that whole package, whereas before it was two guys just grappling and rolling around, it became, well, now throw in some punches. Now do a throw. Now do, you know, that. so that like it started adding that. And that's, yeah, that's that slam bang right. Western You style. had freestyle and you had the Greco and now they kind of joined everything together and threw in some boxing. And that created the new exciting style of wrestling. And you can see, you can kind of see this evolution with some of the old matches that has been filmed. There's a 1915 match that was filmed that's very on the mat, nothing. But then um, as it gets into the later 20s, you can see how it starts to speed up. Though uh, something funny too when doing, uh, learning about it, reading about it, and looking through some sources for it. Uh, one of the other forms of fighting that uh, Mont and Sandow had spoken about was lumber camp fighting. Yes. Like, which I think is kind of funny. I'd never heard that term before, uh, the lumber camp. Like, so I guess that's just like your lumberjacks scrapping over the plate of pancakes or something. Um, Paul Bunyan. Paul Bunyan, exactly. Uh, so that was, I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, but yeah, just because you always think when you're looking at the styles and just how it, I mean, of course, as everything evolves, but you look at that, right, where they were doing those feats of strength and those grappling i could see how that could get tiring and boring after a while for people to watch it just kind of seemed well it's not exciting right and then all they had left because there was no tapes all they had left were the the newspaper accounts of of these different things um so the story is that farmer burns was training tootsmont and sent him to sandow and lewis said here raise this rate you know train this boy but what happened was sand uh uh Mont was already established as a wrestling coach and then was brought into the combine 
later. So what you essentially have is Sandow and Lewis were able to establish the wrestling combine in the country at the time. Mont, Mont came in later at the end of that. Once there were issues that caused Lewis to lose the title and Sandow to lose power, Mont immediately hooked up with Jim Londus and Jack Curley and was with them for a while until Londus tr- decided to split off and then Mont was able to do that. So Toots Mont is always never necessarily the main power, but he's kind of the power behind the throne and everywhere. So he was the, almost the Jim Barnett character that knew all of the tricks and the ins and outs. Like you can promote and you can be the, you know, you can be the champion, but I'm the one that's going to handle the boys, handle the booking and handle the money. So it's very interesting like that. They also uh, contracted with wrestlers at that point too, which was very rare. Uh, Yes. Which, well, the wrestlers would contract with the Sandow Combine. Right, right. And so he ran a booking office and all the promoters in the in the United States would call this booking office and say, we want so-and-so. Remember, this is all before TV. This is all telegrams and stuff like that. Right. They also, like, they were also not only the innovators of, like, creating the new style, but were also the first ones to actually run storylines, too. Well, just wait. Back up a little bit. Okay. Because when we're talking about the Gold Dust Trio, the Gold Dust Trio was only in place from 1922 to 1925. That was all three of them. Sure. So you had Lewis and Lewis and Sandow working from 1915 to 1922 by themselves before Toots came in. Toots was only in there for three years. But there's not really any evidence of wrestling changing until after this time. Right. So the book came up with the story of the Gold Dust Trio changing wrestling when in reality, two-thirds of the Gold Dust Trio existed by themselves for several years doing just fine. Toots came in at the end, and then Toots's changes to wrestling kind of came in after that period. Sure. Um, with when Londos was champion. Gotcha. So it's it's a very the author of the book seems to like shuffle a bunch of eras and stories together to try to come up with a storyline that isn't exactly true right. as provable by other documentation. So again, the Gold Dust Trio was only around for three years, but the effects of Tutsman's work came later and had much more impact. And so and they basically pushed and correct me if I'm wrong. They pushed Lewis because he was technically the champion at that time, right? Yes. Like, and and so they would have their guys. They'd have them wrestle against whoever, and that also brought up the premise of the audiences would get sick of because of seeing Strangler Lewis as the champion, and then it's like every now and then they'd have him lose to somebody or whatever, just to kind of try to repop that gate or regenerate that magic or that to get that audience to grow. Right. So so we'll touch on that. So Sandow had this wrestling combine that everybody had to get booked through. Um, but there were also trust busters, that exi- trust busters that existed outside of this combine that tried to get worked. Uh, notable among them are guys like Fred, Grumb- Fred Grubmeyer, who was referenced in Luthez's book, mm-hmm. where they said, hey, this guy is a big shooter. So he had a reputation as a shooter. Uh, Grubmeyer was very good at... he. he was tall, thin, looked kind of dorky. He would come into town when he knew like the, the harvest was coming and people would have money and he would get into, well, I'm, I'm the best runner here. I can beat you in a foot race. 
And so he would race somebody and lose. It's like, oh, this guy's a this guy's a hayseed. Well, I'm the best pool player here. I'll play anybody in pool. So he would get beaten pool. Well, I'm the best wrestler here. I'll, I'll wrestle anybody. He's like, you've already lost twice. So, like, they would bring their local champ in. You know, whoever whoever in the neighborhood. When I say local champ, it was, oh, bring bring home Curly from that other barn over there because we know he's a good grappler. He can. So that's what would happen. All of the side bets would be placed, and suddenly Grubmeyer would shoot on him, get all the money, and get out of town. Right. So. Uh, Grubmeyer had trouble getting bookings with the combine because they couldn't trust him because right. he had his own money. Now, this is where it gets weird as well because Grubmeyer is referenced in Thez's book and some people have talked about him, but when you look at the actual physical records, he was never in any like nor- notable programs, didn't have any notable matches. So if it wasn't for these two sources, like we wouldn't really know about Fred Grubmeyer. Right. What about, um, are you familiar with John uh, Pesek? John Pesek, yes. The uh, Nebraska the, the, Tiger Ra- Man? Damn it, I was going to say it. Sorry. Because yeah. <laughs> that, uh, do you want to give a little bit about uh, Mr. Pesek? Uh, I do not have stuff about Pesek here because I go into where, uh, in 1925, where they shot on Wayne Munn for the title. Well, so before we get to that, so one of the things that would happen is because some of the players some of the people that would come into that combine wouldn't want to play by the rules and by having the things have the matches have their predetermined outcomes or like what they wanted done and if they were guys were getting chippy or guys were kind of not kind of going against what uh Sandow and Mont wanted Mont and Pesic would actually rough the guys up if they tried to take advantage of the situation that's all. a policeman yeah exactly yes they said that uh and yeah I'll just read a quick little thing here John Pesic American professional wrestler and greyhound racing breeder, dog breeder. Pretty interesting, right? Uh, regarded by some as the greatest wrestler that they uh, they ever met. Actually, a couple uh, gold medalist wrestlers said that. So, uh, yeah, but I'm sure that they just needed that, that rough and tumble guy just in case. But, I mean, again, thinking about it as this new concept that's sweeping the land, right? I mean, before that, I'm sure it was just viewed as everything was a shoot. And now here you go you know, like actually like with the setting things up and I'm sure some guys kind of took offense to that. So yeah, it's, it's wild. It's crazy to think ago how long ago this was and the impact that this whole situation has. And it's almost like the dominoes falling into place and how this sets the stage for like everything that's to come after that. Yeah. Cause it gets really crazy after that. Uh, in 1925, uh, Lewis had given his title to a football player named Wayne Munn who was a very tall, he was abnormally tall for the time, so he was easy to push and everything. Uh, Wayne Munn had the epic uh, nickname of Big, which I love. (laughs) Yeah. So he was Big Wayne Munn as opposed to Big Scott Hall and Big John Studd. So that was funny. So Wayne Munn had the title, uh, and he had a match with Stanislaus Zabisco, who was in the combine with Billy Sandow, had a contract in there. Suddenly, Zibby shot on Munn for the title because he had a side deal going with another combine of promoters, Jack Curley. So they did a deal to steal the title. Just wait, this gets good. So they stole the title. They moved the. Zabisco shot on Wayne Munn for the title and then moved the belt to Joe Stecker, yeah. who was related to Tony Stecker, well, obviously the brother of Tony Stecker, who owned the Minneapolis promotion. Right. That's who Ganya later bought from. 
So that was all part of a a big to-do to switch the title around to another combine of promoters. Suddenly, all the wrestlers are breaking their contracts with the Sandow combine and going into the Curly combine because they know where the money is. This leads to later to Stecker and Lewis having the epic five-hour match that everybody talks about. That they say this is why they had to speed up wrestling. It's, uh, give that a look. Kyle looks confused. I'm sorry. Joe Lewis and, er, uh, not Joe, 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 Lew- Joe, Joe Lewis is a karate guy who's in the movie Force 5, who I just watched the other Very day, nice. which is incredible. Uh, the Clones cast, which is about Bruce Lee fakes. Yes. Incredible podcast. Anyway, so you had Strangler Lewis and Joe Stecker. Joe Stecker is the champion. Ed Lewis is going for the title. They have a match that literally goes four hours and 51 minutes before they call it. And it was a very defensive match on both sides. The legend that has grown up about it is that they were such good defensive wrestlers. This is all what they were all going to do. What the research in the annotated fall guy suggested is, no, these guys were just trying to defraud everybody that had bet on the match. Because you had people betting on who was going to win the match, how long the match was going to go, what the finisher was going to be. And they just decided, uh, no, we're just going to we're, we're gonna do this. Now, what they don't say, what isn't publicized, is two years later, Stecker and Lewis met in the ring, and Stecker went over Lewis two falls straight. Oh, really? Yeah, they don't tell you that story. They just tell you the story of this five-hour match, and they couldn't do anything. I wonder, I couldn't even, I mean, I can hardly keep my attention for a half-hour television program, let alone sit there for five hours and watch one match go on. I'd be curious to see like time lapse photography of that, seeing the crowd coming and going or leaving or like what. Like happened. it started at four in the afternoon and ended at nine o'clock at night. So that's wild. Yeah, that's bizarre. But again, all you had left was the newspaper articles of that. Sure. So, okay. So now the title's gone over here. The title is with the Curly Stecker Combine. Stecker passes the title to Dynamite Gus Sonneberg who's a college football guy that popularized the flying tackle. Okay. Which is essentially the running shoulder block. Like, yeah. this is where it came from. Sonnenberg was not a shooter, so Toots, who was not in this combine, hired a preliminary wrestler to basically mug this guy in, in the middle of the street so that it would make it would make the news that this preliminary... They called it a preliminary lightweight wrestler beat up the champion of the world, but in... This re- in reality, this guy was a heavyweight, and he had been around for a while. He just knew how to shoot and walked yeah. up to him and headbutted him, and that's how it went. That's wild. Which led to the Stecker Combine losing the title, which led to everything moving over to Londis, and suddenly when Londis is champion, who's in his back pocket? Tootsmont. Yeah. So. That's fascinating. Yeah, it's just bizarre how everything gets... You know, here, here's another thought to this, too, which is also, I mean, because I guess this goes on in any business, whether it be um, wrestling or music business or whatever, what have you. It's fascinating when you think about, and I, I don't want this to sound belittling, but like how inside and how crazy it is and how much it matters to probably just like a handful of people. In the sense of the wrestlers, the performers, the combine, like the the promoters or whatever it is, that group of people, how crazy, because they're going to all these different towns. There's not television. There's not at this point like full on 
storylines or anything like that. But all these things are happening. Who's screwing over who? Who's doing what? It would seem like an incredibly stressful business to be in at that point for very little reward. I mean, I don't know if it's reward. I'm sure they're getting good houses and they're getting paid. The guys well. on top were making money. The guys on top the were making money, but it just Toots seems like money. so like. It just seems kind of wild to me. Like it's so intense, all of this, like double crossing, all these mm-hmm. things going on. It's just like, it's fascinating. And you have that view of the world from that time, the innocence, if you will. And again, guys having a five hour match. And is it just like a bunch of like innocent people watching this, just going like, wow, this is fascinating, not realizing that they're just working everybody right. at that point? Like it just, it's, it's amazing when it comes down to it. Just that, like the the attention to detail and the little small nooks and crannies and informations and side paths and ways things were things were going back then. So, uh, uh, just just to finish this yeah, off, and then we can get back into the analysis. So uh, they pass the title to Londus. Toots is with Londus until 1932, when Londus decides he wants to break off and do his own thing. Suddenly, Toots doesn't like Londus anymore. And the rest of the Fall Guys is like a character assassination on Londus. So a lot of the beliefs that like Londus couldn't perform in half the states because he had lawsuits. Sure. And he was on like he wasn't he wasn't Lily White because right. he did get in trouble for some gambling. But Londus was basically a straight shooter that was married and kept his money and was able to retire. Right. But because of the Fall Guys, everybody thinks he was a much more shady than he was. Because Toots was the one telling the story. Ah, yeah. So, just for Tootsman, after he gets done with Londos, he bought into L.A. Mm-hmm. He was the promoter there. Um, Thez talks about his time being the promoter in the area, how he was jip- taking money from all the boys and everything. Till finally, it came out that Toots was paying the sports writers in L.A. to write good things about wrestling which caused kind of a payola scandal, which caused Toots to jump out of there and jump over to the East Coast and get in with uh, Vince Sr. on the ground floor of what he was doing there, who owned points in the early capital sports, sold his points to Vince Sr., retired to somewhere on the East Coast, but stayed on the WWF payroll until he passed away in the late 70s. Yeah. So it was another one of those weird loyalty things from the McMahon family where they took care of you until the end. Well, and and that time in the Northeast, there was work with Dusick, right? That he had uh, had done, uh, had yes. uh, worked with like Dusick and Pfeffer. Well, I'm I'm greatly, yeah. Pfeffer is a whole nother, a whole sure. nother right, thing. Right, 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 right. Pfeffer would be considered one of the trust busters that they couldn't that they couldn't really trust because Pfeffer was the guy that would come in and threaten to expose the business. Gotcha. But he was also much later. Okay. Like he, Pfeffer wasn't around in the twenties. Pfeffer came around in the fifties and sixties and seventies. Gotcha. And he even ran the international amphitheater for a while in Chicago. Besides, uh, like uh, Jack Pfeffer was a noted, uh, outlaw promoter. In the t- oh, he's not paying attention. Yeah. That's Kyle's fine. just thinking about his trip to star Wars land. Sure. Um, the, uh, oh, you have a question, Kyle? Wait, so Tootsmont, Tootsmont, and then the, the wrestler is, uh, Strangler Lewis. Strangler Lewis. And then the third guy. Billy Sandow was the promoter. Okay. So So, that was the Goldust trio. Yep. So 
where does he fit into all this? I don't, I feel Sandow. like we didn't talk much about him. Okay, Sandow was the promoter, owned the promoting combine until his promotional power fell apart in 1925 with the uh, Wayne Munn thing. Okay, and then he just disappears? Yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of wrestlers left his combine, and he just fell out and okay. wound up going to retire to do something else. Um, there was a series of how-to-wrestle books that Sandow did with Ed Strangler-Lewis which I have a few reprinted copies of. Sure. But those were the, you know, black and white. Here's this hold and here's how Again, when I say it's really thick reading, it's just it's written in that 1920s brogue of robustly grab the opponent by, you know, right. instead yeah. of just like grab him here, grab him here, grab him here, you know. Um so besides working with uh, Strangler Lewis and Landis, was Mont responsible or affiliated with any other wrestlers that were the D train wrestlers at all, do you know? Or? Yes. Well, he was one of the trainers for the, the, the troop back in the day. Okay. But then he was also the policeman in the locker room. He was the gorilla monsoon. Gotcha. And so, but there was, uh, I mean, I'm sure uh, a lot of guys went through, but there was, uh, um, and probably some famous ones as well, but other people that he's trained, I'm sure he came in contact with quite a few other people that have made it big or had gone on to other things as well. Right. Well, what is your ultimate question? You want well, to know just who, like, who he know trained that was famous or who he would have intersected that, he in? that you know of? Is there anyone that he trained that and went on to be like a quote-unquote name in any sense? Uh, I don't recall right now. His sure. his influence would have been more as a booker and matchmaker for different different promotions. Okay. Uh, like it was, it was working for Mont... Like Thez talks about, I worked for Mont, I starved, but... That was the opportunity I got to train with Ad Santel to become a shooter. Right. So, so that's the story of the Gold Dust Trio. Uh, but there are other stories in the Fall Guys that get repeated over and over again, like the Gotch and Hackensmith match in Soldier Field. Kyle and Comiskey. Okay. So, Frank Gotch was the peerless champion, and George Hackenschmidt was the European champion. Um, you've heard of Hackenschmidt, uh, through strength. Uh, he's very popular in the strength world. He was like one of the first muscle men in the world. They had a series of matches that culminated in Comiskey, Comiskey park where the agreement was they were going to have a match, but Hackenschmidt was somehow injured in training and they had a gentleman's agreement to have a match. But when they got in the ring, got shot on him, grabbed his leg, and it's come out. Gotch was oiled up. Gotch was sticking his thumbs in my eyes. Gotch was all this. Okay, so what really happened here was Gotch died really soon after this match. Once he died, that's when Hackenschmidt started coming out with all these stories of, I was injured, this guy cheated, oh, all sure. this. Yeah. So it was the classic wrestling strategy of just outlast everybody else and then your story becomes the truth. Right. But in, in Hackenschmidt's books, he talks about, I went into the ring and I had 30 yards of gauze wrapped around my knee and I shouldn't have been walking. But you look at pictures and there's no gauze there's on his there. knee. It's right. just kind of like, okay, so that's one story that comes out of here. Um. There's another story that's told in the Fall Guys. There's a chapter that just tells goofy wrestling stories, and I figured we could riff on that. Yeah, for let's a little do bit. it. Let's give a little goof. So, how does it go? Um, 
There's a fur coat. Start of a good joke. Well, no, 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 no. Because you have to get the whole thing set up. Like there are two wrestlers. Uh, one of them is married and wants to buy a fur coat for his girlfriend, but doesn't want the receipt. So his friend says, "Hey, I'll go hawk this fur coat, and you can give it to your. You can go get it out of hawk and give it to your secret girlfriend." And when the first wrestler meets the secret girlfriend later, she doesn't have a coat and says, what's going on until he goes back to his house and finds out that somehow his sister has the coat because this was another secret girlfriend of the second wrestler oh, that he Jesus. didn't know about all sorts of fun stuff like that. I'm sorry. I'm not doing justice to the story because I want to get to the Ray Steele story. Yes. Ray Steele was a wrestler. Uh, Thez talks about him. He was a world champion for a while there. Goes out to L.A. and he wants to get get involved in the social scene out there because he wants to get a little action. And the promoter or whoever is taking him out there is like, Ray, for God's sake, show a little decorum here. Ask people about the theater. Ask them about the ocean. Ask them if they've traveled. Don't, don't be a total jerk about that. So Ray Steele runs into his friend for the night and he's like, by the way, lady, have you ever been to the theater, been to the ocean, or traveled anywhere? She's like, nope. Well, okay, do you want to go upstairs then? And they went upstairs and, and, the, and the wrestler's like, well, I give you credit. Yeah, after the, the question. three questions I asked you to ask. Yeah, so. That's pretty great. So, yeah, and then there's all sorts of goofy, you know, who's sure. who Zoom and who stories. So. so what are your thoughts? Do you think, I mean, do you believe, I don't know, believe, but that was Goldust. I know partially the name Goldust from Dustin Rhodes was of course, partially a riff off of his dad, but that this was an uh, homage to the Goldust Trio. Do you think that's just like a goofy whatever? No, it could have been in there because it was part of the vernacular. Yeah. Because due to this book, there was the belief that there was this magical trio of people that were able to change the course of wrestling, like changing the flow of the Chicago River. Sure. But the actual truth is, no, this was very fractured, and the Goldust Trio is a very easy way to sum up a very confusing part of history right especially in a business that did its level best to remain hidden from everybody oh right for because sure. everybody's screwing everybody over so nobody right. wants to know that and right. you know and a lot of this information is dead because there's nobody around to talk about it and, right you know there's there's just no way to re reconstruct it but what makes it neat is that it it is a good framework or idea or snapshot of the thought of where did and when did wrestling make that turn from just right. being that grappling to actually taking it to that next level you know lumber fights or whatever it was lumberjack fights the quick quick answer to that is somewhere between 1925 and 1931 right the end right yeah exactly and that's where it comes from and but that's where we're at now and what jim Cornette has pointed out is that a lot of the it's weird because a lot of the storylines and a lot of setups that we still see to today can be traced back to things that Tootsmont thought up back then. Okay. Yeah. So very, very good. Very notable for the changes he put on the business. Didn't happen as part of the gold dust trio. Right. Right. So, but it's all, but it's just become that legend that it's all that thing. That's yes. Mixed in together. Yeah. It's kind of wild to think, I guess there isn't anybody around anymore. At this point, I mean, clearly, yes, someone from 1895 is not going to be living at this point. But I mean, but like the people, I mean, who is technically like the oldest 
like pretty well-known wrestler that's out there. Do well, we have the, one? the oldest person that was involved in the wrestling business in the United States, I think currently is Bill Mercer at 93. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. But after that, I'm not sure because right. it was Ace Freeman for <laughs> so many years and now he's passed. Yeah. But beyond that... Right. Like yeah. it really is an interesting thought. Like who is left ahead to... Yeah, it's weird story. because like most of the main eventers are gone. Right. And that's why I laugh when you get death announcements now. It's like, it's so funny that this person gets a national mention for their death when in actuality this other person was a much larger star. Like, sure. who knew when Buddy Rogers passed away versus who's some who's somebody that just passed away that everybody knew about? New Jack. Exactly. Did yeah, New Jack that? is dead. Oh, hey, Kyle didn't, guys, Kyle didn't know New Jack died. Really? You didn't know that? No. Yeah, it's New Jack. Yeah, it I is. mean, I feel that same way, but at the same time, I'm a little shocked. Yeah. It was that old classic wrestler, I think, uh, died in his hotel room type thing, but I don't know. But New yeah. Jack? Oh, I guess I'm not really I don't sure. know. Maybe. I don't know. But yeah, that's crazy. I can't believe Kyle didn't know that. Uh, really? Uh, no, I don't want to get into that. I just want to say, <laughs> well. I always liked New Jack. I'm not going to lie. As far as wrestling deaths, there were there was a Cauliflower Alley Club last year. Yes. And now at least four people that have attended there have passed away. Oh, serious? Can you go through the names? Uh, let's see. Buddy Sprott, who was... Uh, oh, God, what was his wrestling name? Rick Hunter, um, the guy that wrote Nobody Down Here Likes Me. Pat Barrett. Okay. Uh, let's see, Charlie Smith is still in the hospital, and then referee Mickey J. Yeah, Mickey J. And Reggie Parks. Okay. Yeah, I guess so. Wow, that is pretty wild. Yeah, so that's, you, ju- that's just a fact. Take it for what you want. Have you ever been to a Cauliflower Alley Club? Yeah, we've talked about this. I was there in 02 before everybody oh, died. That's right. I'm yeah. sorry. I that's forgot. Fine. Yes, you're right. But now it's it's a very weird, I understand it needed to evolve to what it needs to be, but... Seems to be more fan oriented than than a brotherhood of wrestlers. Just a more of a fan fest now. Kind of. Well, not to hear the people that go tell it, but right, right, yeah, right, kind of. Yeah, it kind of seems that way. The uh, when who I'm trying to think. When did Vergania die? Was that two years ago? Three years ago? Three years ago. Okay. I think. Yeah, it was. It was longer. How old was he? Do you know? I mean, he had to be as upper in his nineties, right? I think upper eighties, but he had been suffering from the dementia for a while right right yeah which is that again that's i just think about a lot of those guys and it's like wow there's nothing for us to show i don't do you watch old wrestling like that do you have you do you sit down and watch some of that old black and white stuff uh i guess define your question a little bit more. oh like i mean whether it be like gorgeous george or would be anything from like the 2015 seven years ago Wow. wow that's crazy yeah uh, yeah, Vern, seven years ago. Um, that's that's pretty wild. I thought it was much more recent. Um, think about like uh, if you're watching like a gorgeous George or you're watching stuff, black and white footage uh, before the DuPont Network stuff or anything that was out there. So any kind of footage, are you intrigued by it or is it just so long and draw? I mean, because like I ha- have no, I mean, I'll be honest, I have no interest in it. I enjoy the history but I have no interest in actually watching the matches. What? Just watch AEW, right? I don't even know what AEW is. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, 
it depends. Depends on the worker, and it depends yeah. what I'm looking for. Can you grab stuff? Can you grab stuff out of something that old that like can be relevant for you? Absolutely, now? absolutely. Okay. Uh, match I'm thinking of at the top of my head was Vern Gagne against a very young Red Bastine in Chicago International, or, or sure in the gardens or whatever. Um, that's where I learned that headstand escape from a leg scissors. Okay. Yeah. So there's stuff that could be done because wrestling was still a priority then as opposed to the spectacle. So there was still a lot of subtle things being done that you can steal. Right. Um, let's see, no Pat O'Connor was in color, but yeah, there's stuff available. It's just a matter of a matter of the worker. The style was also very different then because there's a lot that they did then that would be considered lazy now. Right. Like that. Give me, I'll give an example of that. What, oh, what like, uh, like, um, just putting it, getting in like a headlock and putting a rest hold for like 30 minutes. Well, but how they worked it and how they got in and out of it, like yeah. that wouldn't, wouldn't pass today because it's too subtle. Okay. Gotcha. As opposed to now everything's the slam bang Western style wrestling. Right. Right. I wonder, Yeehaw. um, is there, can you see, uh, is, is there a lot of talking? If you've ever watched those matches, can you see a lot of talking? Not really. That's what I was curious about. Like, it was just kind of like they just knew the time when to do stuff, it well, seemed like. There was timing, and I think that they were a lot better at communicating than we are today. Like, nobody ever formally taught me how to talk in the ring. Oh, really? Right. Interesting. That was just kind of something I actually picked out a lot from watching tapes. Yeah. It's like, See, oh, he's not clearing his nose. He's actually covering his mouth to call a spot. Got say it. something, yeah. sure. I think that was always the, well, I mean, not to bring it back up to more current ish stuff but like that was always the one where i'm like oh he's backing him up and wow how convenient that his hair is in his face while he's talking to him you know what i mean as he's backing him in i mean but i'm able to see not necessarily in the black and whites but like older territory footage you can see how guys communicate in clinches yes but only because you know that's what they're doing but you can't see their mouths moving Moving, right right Right. Or, or or when they're calling stuff. And I also think there was a lot of, I'm going to call something now, but we're not going to get to it for five minutes. Gotcha. Sure, so. like down the way. Uh, do you have a favorite classic wrestler like that? Like somebody from that era that anyone that you're like, really? Or do you just think it's overarching? Kind of like they're all pretty good at what they did. Is there anyone that you're specifically drawn to what era are you talking like, about the oh, 20s older guys yeah strangler yeah that's <laughs> no the, the the attitude era is there anyone that you oh, back, back in the day of the attitude era? era no but like i'm talking about like in and i just say the black and white era because it's just such a long time ago but are there any Look, of those wrestlers like do you is there footage of strangler lewis out there that you've seen that you're like oh yeah this is great or i mean it's not great as in the sense of oh this is an incredible match i'm going to show all my friends but there are Strangler Lewis matches available that are faster moving. There are, okay. Yes, but as far as wrestlers I'm into, let me check my YouTube search history to see what I have here. Candy Divine. Uh, Midnight Rockers versus Buddy Rose and Doug Summers. Was that the New Year's match? Uh, that was the bloody match. Uh, I tried to find Mario Galento, but there's not a lot on him. A lot of whip stuff here. Yeah, More whip whip videos. Oh, I must have cleared it out. Sure. So nothing, nothing too fantastic there. But, yeah. Um, Have you been drawn to anything lately? You've been watching, as far as any specific territories or anything on YouTube or videos or. Uh, let's see. No, I've been I've been going through full cards again. Have like you? I usually just wrestle. 
usually for breakfast, I'll just enter wrestling 1985 and then scroll through until I find something I like. Sure. So that's good. And is that um, going across any promotion or is it just? It's whatever's available, just whatever shows up. Sure. Uh, I did watch a Georgia championship wrestling show the other day, which started off good because it had Rip Rogers and Brenda Britton. But then as I went through the rest of the uh, rest of the card, I was like, God, it's a good thing these guys got bought out by Crockett. Really? Yeah. But it's not good? Uh, they didn't, yeah. Wasn't good because they didn't have a lot of talent available to him at that time. Right, but it, but it was like the Rip Rogers and Buzz Sawyer level of. Okay, yeah, you know. Well, what I like is that this is going to get me back into wrestling. I don't want to sound sad about this, but like I haven't been watching wrestling that much. I mean, uh, I, wrestling's pretty dumb. Yeah, like I've yeah. just been kind. Of, I mean, I've been kind of not down on it, but I've just been kind of indifferent to it for a while now. Um, and you know, I had a big discussion uh, the other night with. Um, Jim Hollywood Mm -hmm. and we were discussing just kind of like what's like what what's killing it for us or what's killing the vibe for us and I mean I hate saying it but it's like I feel like the fans are like I feel like I'm like the the fans uh that was I was listening to a, a different podcast that was talking about um the deaths of characters in movies like Star Wars talking about Spock dying or Star Wars or things like that. That was Star Trek, Jay. I'm very No, embar- I'm saying that I'm saying both. They talked I'm, about I'm, Star I'm, Trek I'm, I'm and they talked about you. Star Wars. It was talking about all of those things. I whatever. I know what I'm saying. May the Vulcan be with you. But they were pointing out the frustration of fandom and that having like I don't need to be talked at by people that weren't involved in making the movies telling me why this movie is good, if that makes sense. Kind of like a, um, they're fans, but then they want to interject their psychology into what they think the directors or the writers were doing, but they really don't know. And I'm, and it made me feel like I think that's kind of what I'm feeling that way about wrestling right now is sure. I'm feeling that it's kind of like it's a lot of people. And that's why I've kind of shied away from the Internet. And I'm sorry, I don't mean to go on a dumb tangent about this now, but it is very much of like, I don't want to hear what somebody w- wants to tell me about some like why this is this way when you really don't know, because at the end, you still want it to be a guarded business, but it's not going to be anymore. And you, like these, you just want people to kind of have that their own, just enjoy it for what it is and just have fun and not try to have to like tell me about it. Well, yeah, this is the classic. People want wrestling to be fake except for the parts they like. Right. So, yeah. Me. So I don't know. But anyhow, but this is, I'm glad we're back doing this because we can go and we can visit things like the Goldust Trio. Um, and find out and, they didn't exist. And the Kingston Trio and some of those things. I wish. like that. You know who's really good for trios? Canada. Are they? Well, you got Triumph, you got Rush, you got Cream. I don't know. I'm what? not a Rush guy. What? You like Rush? Yeah. I always just associate Kyle with Coheed and Cambria. What? You no. like them, right? Yeah. yeah, there's nothing wrong with them. No, no, I like them, but I, I guess... That's, Maybe that's I, don't. I always think of that's what I think of Kyle. I don't either. I don't either. But I just do. My older brother's favorite band. I didn't even know you had an older brother. You had. I thought you had a younger brother. Yeah, I know. What? Which? What is that? What's his name again? You have a. You have a family. Wait, Mark. Yeah. What's your younger brother's name? 
Justice. See, I knew Justice. I don't remember Mark. Do you, do you know he had an older brother? You have a brother named Justice, and we only find this out now? Yeah. Huh. Isn't that crazy? No, I know Justice. Justice is a cool dude. I told you how your mom's boyfriend picked me out at the... Yeah, I thought I was going to get shot. <laughs> no. Okay. But anyhow, I digress. Um, how do we get from the Goldust Trio to Coheed and Cambria, right? Trios. Trios. Yeah, we went. We jumped all the way over Coheed to Coheed and Cambria is only two. Yeah, that's true. And Smith. I'll just add one. Kind of like Crosby, Coheed, Stills, Cambria, Nash, and, and Young. Smith. <laughs> kind of like, yeah, it's like Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. So it'll just be Coheed and Cambria and Smith. And so now we've turned it into a trio. And they're not even from Canada, I don't think. So I guess it technically doesn't even matter. And here we are, completely off the topic of wrestling. Uh, Derek. So a whip is... Cons- tell us about this There's a handle. The long part is called the thong. And then there's a fall and the cracker. Thong but song. Uh, we'll talk hey, about that later. Derek, thank you. Kyle, you are the best as usual. Say hi to your brother, Mark. Who knew? Say hi to your brother, Justice. Yes. I like that. Tell him we're fighting for him. <laughs> yes, at all times. Uh, we'll be back soon with a couple new episodes. Luckily, down the uh, the is it the pipe or the pike? I don't know. I have notes that are over two years old. Yes, we're going through. Uh, we're going through the back catalog. And you know what? Let's uh, let's just throw it out there right away. If you have questions, Derek can give you some answers. Uh, throw some questions up <laughs> some on our Facebook wonderful page. random. Yes, invented just, answers. He'll just give me looks and be like, I don't want to answer that. I don't want to. Um, if you have questions, shoot us either uh, instant message. I think they're called IMs, the kids say. Oh, that's right. We have legal problems in wrestling. Like, oh, yeah. Wrestling went to court. Yeah. Legal problems in wrestling is coming up. Uh, unpopular we, opinions. Unpopular opinions is an episode we're going to be getting to. <laughs> Chris Jericho is under that. Yeah. Uh, so that it, should be, it should be pretty good stuff. So ladies and... Well, listen, save it for the episode. Kyle wants to know why. We've like got to get going. We've been we've been really rocking this one out here. Uh, you've listened to the Goldust Trio of Kyle, uh, Jay, and Derek. This is the new 2022 Goldust Trio. We want to be referred to that from here on out. Uh, we agreed to that before the show, so please refer to us as the Goldust Trio. All right. Uh, this is your co-host, Jay Gilkay, saying thank you for listening to Cigars and Conversations with Derek St. Holmes Esquire. And remember, always, always... Protect the business. Good night, Frankie.